Welcome back to the Hemingway List Podcast for Book of Verse, Joshua Sylvester. Cute little love sonnet. What a little cutie. Tekrafik says, aptly name poem. Ubique means everywhere. Love is in the air and everywhere. Cute indeed. Swim says a mumfish. He says, hopelessly romantic me. He enjoyed this poem. It's nice to be hopelessly romantic. Right. That's a good thing to be. I'm glad you enjoyed the poem. Our poet is of humble origins. Sweet. Sylvester was the son of a Kentish clothier. In his tenth year, he was sent to school at King Edward VI School, Southampton, where he gained a knowledge of French. After about three years at school, he appears to have been put to business. And in 1591, the title page of his Yiver, what's a Yivery? Y-V-R-Y, Yivery, states that he was in the service of the Merchant Adventurers Company. Cool. He was for a short time a land steward, and in 1606, Henry Frederick, Prince of Wales, gave him a small pension as a kind of court poet. In 1613, he obtained a position as secretary to the Merchant Adventurers. He was stationed at Middleburg in the Low Countries where he died. What a weird set of careers to have. Imagine going from being a merchant, uh, working for a merchant adventurer's company, which I just feel like is basically like pirates without the crime. Um, I might have that completely wrong. A land steward, and then... A court poet. Just getting paid to hang around and write poems. Cool. Cool. Cool, 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 cool. What an interesting fellow. And I like that it was just a sweet little poem. A little, little cutie poem. A cutie pie poem. Now today's... Oh, we've got quite a lot of poems today. We've got about 15 pages. So, whoever today is... Michael Drayton is today's poet... Seems to me they were quite prolific. Michael Drayton was born in 1563. He died in 1631. And his first poem is called To His Coy Love. I pray thee leave, love me no more. Call home the heart you gave me. But I, but, sorry, I but in vain that saint adore. That can but will not save me. Those poor half kisses kill me quite. Was ever man thus served, amidst an ocean of delight, for pleasure to be starved? Show me no more those snowy breasts with azure rivets branched, Why, where, whilst mine eye with plenty feasts, yet in my thirst not is my thirst not stanched? O Tantalus, thy pains never tell, by me thou art prevented, tis nothing to be plagued in hell, but thus in heaven tormented. Clip me no more in those dear arms, nor thy life's comfort call me. Oh, these are but two powerful charms, and do but more enthrall me. But see how patient I am grown in all this coil about thee. Come, nice thing, let my heart alone, I cannot live without thee. This one's called The Parting. Since there's no help, come let us kiss and part. Nay, I have done, you get no more of me. And I am glad, yea, glad with all my heart, that 
thus so cleanly I myself can free, shake hands forever, cancel all our vows, and when we meet at any time again, be it not seen in either of our brows, that we only jot of former love retain. Now at the last gasp of love's latest breath, when his pulse-failing passion speechless lies, when faith is kneeling by his dead bed of death, and innocence is closing up his eyes, now if thou wouldst, when all have given him over, from death to life thou mightest yet him yet recover. This one's called Serena. Near to the silver trent, Serena dwelleth, she to whom nature lent all that excelleth, by which the muses late and the neat graces have for their greatest state taken their places. Twisting an anadem, wherewith to crown her, as it belonged to them most to renown her. On thy bank, in a rank, let thy swans sing her, and with their music along let them bring her. Tagus and Pactolus are to thee debtor, nor for their gold to us are they the better. Henceforth of all the rest be thou the river, which as the daintiest puts them down ever. For as my precious one over thee doth travel, she to pearl paragon turneth thy gravel on thy bank. Our mournful Philomel, the, that rarest tuner, henceforth in April shall wake the sooner, and to her shall complain from the thick cover, redoubling every strain over and over, and when my love too long her chamber keepeth as though it suffered wrong, the morning weepeth on thy bank. Oft have I seen the sun to, to do her honour, fix himself at his noon to look upon her, and hath gilt every grove, every hill near her, with his flames from above, striving to cheer her. And when she from his sight hath herself turned, he, as it had been night, in clouds hath mourned on thy bank. The verdant meads are seen when she doth view them in fresh and gallant green straight to renew them, and every little grass broad itself spreadeth, proud that this bonny lass upon it treadeth, nor flower is so sweet in this large cincture, but it upon her feet leaveth some tincture on thy bank. The fish is in the flood when she doth angle for the hook strive a good them to entangle, and leaping on to the land, from the clear water their scales upon the sand lavishly scatter, therewith to pave the mould, whereon she passes so herself to behold, as in her glasses on thy bank. When she looks out by night, the stars stand gazing like comets to our sight, fearfully blazing, as wandering at her eyes, with their much brightness, with so amaze the skies, dimming their lightness. The raging tempests are calm when she speaketh, such most delights and balm from her lips breaketh on thy bank. In all our Brittany there's not a fairer, nor can you fit any should you compare her angels, her eyelids keep, or hearts surprising, which look whilst she doth sleep like the sun's rising. She alone of her kind knoweth true measure, and her unmatched mind is heaven's treasure on thy bank. 
Fair dove and Darween clear, boast ye your beauties to Trent, your mistress here, yet pay your duties. My love was higher born, towards the full fountains, yet she doth more than scorn and the peak mountains, nor would she none should dream where she abideth, humble as is the stream which by her slideth on thy bank. Yet, my poor rustic muse, nothing can move her, nor the means I can use, though her true lover. Many a long winter's night have I waked for her, yet it is my piteous plight, nothing can stir her. All thy sands, silver, trent, down to the humber. The sighs that I have spent never can number. On thy bank, in a rank, let thy swan sing her, and with their music along let them bring her. This one's called Agincourt. Fair stood the wind for France when we our sails advance, nor now to prove our chance longer will tarry. But putting to the main at Corks, the mouth of scene, with all his martial train, landed King Harry. And taking many a fort, furnished in warlike sort, marcheth towards Agincourt in happy hours, skirmishing day by day with those that stopped his way, where the French generally lay, sorry, where the French general lay, with all his power. Which in his height of pride, King Henry to deride, his ransom to provide unto him sending, which he neglects to the while, as from a nation vile, yet with an angry smile, their fall portending. And turning to his men, quoth our brave Henry, then, though they to one be ten, be not amazed, yet, where have we well begun, battles so bravely won, have ever to the sun by fame be raised. And for myself, quoth he, this my full rest shall be, England never mourn for me, nor more esteem me, victor I will remain, or on this earth lie slain, never shall she sustain loss to redeem me. Poitiers and Cressy tell, when most their pride did swell, under our swords they fell, no less our skill is than when our grandsire, great claiming the regal seat, by many a warlike feat, lopped the French lilies. The Duke of York, so dread, the eager Vauward led, with the main Henry sped among his henchmen. Exester had the rear, a braver man not there. Oh, Lord, how hot they were on the false Frenchmen. They now, to fight, are gone, armour on armour shone. Drum on now drum, drum now to drum did groan. To hear was wonder, that with the cries they make, the very earth did shake, trumpet to trumpet spake, thunder to thunder. Well, it thine age became, O noble Erpingham, which did us the signal aim to our hid forces. When from a meadow by, like a storm suddenly, the English archery stuck the French horses, with Spanish yew so strong, arrows a cloth yard long, that, like the serpent stung, piercing the weather, none from his fellow starts, but playing manly parts, and like true English hearts stuck close together. When down their bows they threw, and forth their bilbos drew, and on the French they flew, not one was tardy, arms were from shoulders sent, scalps to the teeth were rent. Down the French peasants went, our men were hardy, 
This while our noble king is brandishing, his broad sword brandishing, down the French host did ding, as to overwhelm it, and many a deep wound lent his arms with blood to besprint, and many a cruel dent bruised his helmet. Gloucester, that duke so good, next of the royal blood, for famous English stood with his brave brother. Clarence, in steel so bright, though but a maiden knight, yet in the furious fight scarce such another. Warwick in blood did wade, Oxford the foe invade, and cruel slaughter made. Still as they ran up, Suffolk his axe did ply, Beaumont and Wilbury bear them right dotily, Ferrers and Fanhope. Upon St. Crispin's day fought with was this noble fray, which fra fame did not delay to England to carry. Oh, when shall English men with such axe fill a pen, or English England breed again such a King Harry? This one is called To the Virginian Voyage. You brave, heroic minds, worthy your country's name, that honour still pursue, go and subdue, whilst loitering hinds lurk here at home with shame. Britons, you stay too long, quickly aboard bestow you, and with a merry gale swell your stretched sail, with vows as strong as the winds that blow you. Your course securely steer west and by south forth keep rocks, lee shores, no shoals, when Oulus scowls, you need not fear, so absolute the deep, and cheerfully at sea, a success you still entice to get the pearl and gold and ours to hold Virginia earth's only paradise. Where nature hath in store fowl, venison, and fish, and the fruitfulest soil, without your toil, three harvests more, all greater than your wish. And the ambitious vine crowns with his purple mass, the cedar reaching high to kiss the sky, the cypress, pine, and useful sassafras. To whom the golden age still nature's laws doth give, no other cares attend but them to defend from winter's rage that long there doth not live. When, as the luscious smell of that delicious land above the seas that flows, a clear wind throws your hearts to swell, approaching the dear strand. In kenning of the shore, thanks to God first given, O oh, you, the happiest men, be frolic then, let cannons roar, frightening the wide heaven, and in regions far such heroes bring ye forth as those from whom we came and plant our name, under that star not known unto our north, and as there plenty grows of laurel everywhere, Apollo's sacred tree, you it may see, a poet's brows, to crown, that may sing there. Thy voyages attend, industrious Hacklywood, whose reading shall inflame men to seek fame, and much commend to after times thy wit. And that is that one. Now, our next two authors, poets. Interesting. Next one up is Christopher Marlowe. Famous for being someone that it's... Uh, um, there's a bit, of a, a bit of a conspiracy that Christopher Marlowe was plagiarized by Shakespeare. Shakespeare stole a lot of works that were supposed to be credited to Marlowe. I don't actually know if I'm saying that right, but I know a little bit of a conspiracy there. Um, so Christopher Marlowe is up next, and then next after that is 
the man himself, William Shakespeare. So our two next poets are two of the greatest to ever do it. So that's exciting, is it not? All right, folks. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.